All right, so let's welcome tonight's speaker, Jeremiah. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremiah, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, Jeremiah. Hi, Jeremiah. And as someone who shares our room says, and it is a miracle that I love myself today. So I want to start off by saying that. Um, man, I had a rough day today. I have a lovely assistant um, who um, was not born in the same decade as me. Uh, she calls herself a Ludite, and I underscore that um, and subscribe to that. And oh, she made things so difficult for me today. I'm down a couple people at work, um, and it's January, so it's starting to pick up. And so I just want to make a quick pitch for the little pamphlet, 12 Stepping a Problem, because it saved my ass today. Um, so I just want to start off with uh, saying that um, I was really resentful, and then uh, I took some calls from some sponsees, and after 12 Stepping the Problem, it was lifted. So uh, if you're needing some immediate uh, help, uh, I really want to pitch that. Um, so on Sunday, uh, I had my eighth abstinent anniversary in this program, which I'm really proud of. Um, I came into the rooms um, January 7th, 2010. Um, I was 90 pounds heavier than I am today. Topped out at 320. And uh, I'm now at 230. And man, I... It's January. For the newcomers, if January and the changing of the calendar brought you in tonight, that's what it did for me. Um, and so I, I've been doing a lot of reflecting. Um, you know, who was this guy that um, lived eight years ago? And it's, um, I am a vastly different person now and I, I truly owe this all to working this program. I'm a grateful member of this fellowship and I, I don't like to entertain what would have happened to me had I not found these rooms. Um, I have a bottom line abstinence. I have a food plan. Uh, if anyone is interested in hearing what that's like, I'm happy to chat with you. Um, so January, I, I've been doing a lot of thinking. I've had a couple of weeks to, to think about, um, about tonight. Um, and uh, a theme has been coming to the surface of avoidance. And so I'm going to trying to to weave that in because uh, I just don't want to do the the traditional what it was like um, for me um, avoidance and consuming food was a way to numb the feelings that um, I didn't feel safe in expressing pretty much until I came up into the rooms 
and it was a defense mechanism and um, a way to cope with uh, defining those feelings. So I, I aim to avoid and I work a program imperfectly that um, really focuses on me being present here and today. And um, I'm always telling, you know, my team to run towards their problems. And I, I really do try to to practice that in, in all my affairs. And it's one of the hardest tenets of my program. Um, so I am an only child and I was born to two people who were only children and my grandparents were only children. So we have a very small family. Um, we are a family of scholars. Um, and with that comes a whole slew of character defects. Um, we're overachievers. Uh, we're isolators. Um, we're very self-centered. We're arrogant. And um, most of us have an ism brain. And um, it materialized in different ways for everyone in my family. And for me... Um, it was food. Um, I, I've lived abroad uh, the majority of my childhood. Um, I was born, and uh, about five months after I was born, uh, my mom and dad uh, didn't want to make a go of it, and so my dad, being in the military, uh, took this uh, little kid and went off to Europe. And so my dad was amazing, uh, amazing single parent, um, but we lived all over the world. I had many, many different nannies who were uh, more for my dad than, than myself. So I, I was a latchkey kid. And so it really um, made me put the horse blinds on and uh, I became really insular. Um, being alone and you know, being uprooted as, as many times as we were, even though we were living on military bases, it, I, I really was alone. Um, I was uprooted a lot. Um, I found solace in, you know, in reading. Um, I, it, it was just me going at it alone. And I, I have this really vivid memory of, you know, being a latchkey kid in six or seven, you know, I would get up and I would prepare my own breakfast. And, you know, I would ride my bike home from school. And, um, on the military bases, it's nothing but fast food and this place called the BX or the base exchange. And it was like the grocery store for, you know, the base. And, and I would just go there and get whatever I wanted. And there was no checks and balances. I wasn't taught how to eat. Um, I wasn't taught how to take care of myself. And so, um, everything that I thought that I was doing, I, I thought was normal. Um, until the holidays came around and the holidays are always really, really difficult because you're inundated with all of this imagery of a family. And that was, has never been, been my experience. Um, and so I, um, 
I really just focused um, on myself and doing what what I wanted to do. And even though I was six or seven, my dad was like a roommate. Um, you know, he would come and go. Um, and and that's the way that, um, you know, my childhood and my, my adolescence was. Um, my dad was super supportive. Um, you know, he was both a mom and a dad. And um, and I have great respect for, for him doing what he did. Um, when I was 10, uh, 1990 came around, and with that, uh, the Persian Gulf War, and uh, my dad couldn't care for me. And so he sent me back to the States to live with my mom, and uh, I have a lot of compassion these days uh, for her. I think that um, she was she was an RN, and she truly saved her bedside manner for her patients. And I got the worst side of her. She didn't want to be a mother. She never should have been a mother. Um, if she had lived in a time and place where she felt it were safe to have an abortion, I, I very much believe she would have. And I think that she would have had a better life had she. Um, so I, I was stuck with her. And, um, you know, she had her own ism brain and uh, that manifested in, in a really tragic way. And um, unfortunately, I, I witnessed it. And um, seeing someone die um, at their own hand, um, especially being so young, it, it really set um, a path where um, I couldn't trust anyone. Um, I couldn't trust... Um, how I felt about people. I couldn't trust. Um, no one, no one was honest. Um, no one, no one was real. I, everything was this weird facade that, that I had to, to try to navigate and figure out. And even to this day, I, I'm a person who holds his cards really close and, and I'm a scanner. I, I scan the room. Um, even as people were coming in today, um, I know how many men and how many women are sitting in this room right now, and I have done the ratio uh, in my head, and, and that just comes naturally to me. Um, so there's a weird little insight um, into my brain. Um, and so my dad came back, and you know, my, my mom, bless her heart, I, I do have compassion for her. She was not a good mother. Um, and, and I was left on my own, you know, in, in the worst possible sense under her care. Um, so she, she died. My dad came back, but my dad had to go back. So, um, then I, I went and, uh, moved in with my godparents and, um, they were stage and television stars. And so then I, I moved to Burbank to live with them uh, while my godmother was on her television show. And it was the exact opposite. I had everything I could want. Um, so I had this great house and all of this food. And so 
I could have my disease manifest itself um, not out of um, needing to survive, but um, completely gluttonous. Um, but I, I was still insular and I was still, you know, by myself and I would not let anyone in. And I've been in some sort of trauma therapy, you know, since I was 10 and and I still have real big problems with allowing myself to be vulnerable in front of other people. Even saying the word vulnerable um, is something that's, you know, incredibly difficult um, to say. Um, so dad finally came back. We lived stateside a little bit uh, and then uh, back off to Asia. And um, the pattern of compulsive eating really took root. My dad um, didn't know how to talk to me. Um, he didn't know how to talk about, you know, really sticky things. Um, he did, you know, his best, put me in Boy Scouts, put me, you know, with other kids. And, and he did that and um, it was fine. I put my scholarly brain to it and tried to master everything that I could. Um, but I was still going at it alone and, and I was eating and, and I began hoarding food. Um, I began really overthinking things. Um, I developed hypersensitivity. Um, I was really secretive. Um, I would not, um, you know, open up to people. Um, and again, uh, avoidance, isolation, arrogance. Um, I have another memory of knowing something that someone else did, that nine times eight was 72. And I made this poor kid feel so shitty because he didn't know the answer, and I did. And, um, and luckily, I, I've had the opportunity to make amends to him in working this program. Um, then I went to college, and I was by myself, and then that's where my compulsive eating really flourished. And um, it was fast food restaurants, multiple, um, just about nightly, and, um, and I gained a considerable amount of weight. Um, I remember picking out on food in my bed while watching The Biggest Loser. <laughs> I haven't thought of that in a really long time, but um, it's amazing how these things just come back. Um, and uh, avoidance, you know, popped its head up there. I was fully aware of what I was doing to my body. I, I don't suffer from body dysmorphia. I, I know what my body looks like. I know what my body feels like. And I know even today, even though I've achieved the weight loss that I have, I'm still obese. And um, But the difference today is is that it's it's information. And I can use that information to help guide my food plan. Um, but back to college. Um, graduated, came back. Uh, went to Seattle to live closer to my dad and um, and I got really sick and I didn't realize um, but I was poisoning myself from the inside out from as much junk food as I was eating 
and I had to have my intestines flushed out uh, three different times. That's how much um, junk I was putting in, in my system. And I knew the entire time what I was doing, but I just didn't want to feel anything, you guys. I, I didn't want to feel, you know, any of the problems that I had professionally and certainly, you know, wasn't having sex with anyone. Um, food was the absolute most important relationship in my life for the majority of my life. Food has always been the answer to any question that popped in my head. Um, and it's so it's so odd. I, I had complete awareness of, of what I was doing. Um, and then I, I got really sick and and I was in the hospital and um, I, I knew that I couldn't. And I didn't know what to do. Um, I was on the board of directors for a nonprofit up in Seattle, uh, much like the Castro Country Club, where they have different um, recovery meetings. And um, as a part, um, I had to work the front desk one night a week. And so I was there, and there was an OA meeting. And I knew what Overeaters Anonymous was. I knew that I qualified for that meeting. And I was there two years sitting at that desk, watching these people go in and watching them walk back out, um, looking at this fellowship that these people were achieving. And I, I have so much compassion for myself sitting through that and watching all of that going on, knowing that if I would allow myself the opportunity that there could be a solution. And uh, finally, um, after getting my intestines pumped out the third time, um, the willingness was there. Uh, so I went, it was a Thursday night, it was raining. There were about 70 people in there and I sat in the back um, and I, I was sweaty. I was so uncomfortable. Um, I felt that everyone was looking at me. I didn't raise my hand when they asked for newcomers. I just sat back and, and I told myself that my job here is just to sit there and try to um, be open to, to hearing something. And um, the speaker, his name is Dave, um, I... I instantly related to him and after the meeting I went up to him and said I have a problem I need some help will you help me he said yes and I took my first three steps that night um, it was so cool he he passed away um, gosh about three weeks ago um, he relapsed and he he died from this disease and i am i'm so grateful <laughs> i um yeah he was such a good guy and um he was so selfless and um sponsorship that night um, 
changed my life. Um, as I said, my, my life now is vastly different than that night when I came into the rooms. My abstinence hasn't changed. Uh, my food plan has. Uh, thank you. Um, I got sick after Thanksgiving and um, I was having some really bad digestive problems and um, I was trying everything um, that I could to take medication to fix it and, and I went to my doctor and, and had some tests done and it turns out I'm severely lactose intolerant. Um, like fermented lactose is found in samples and um, I'd never heard of such a thing and um, and it was really easy to let that go and and I don't miss it and it's a gift of this program that I can sit here knowing that I've had enough dairy <laughs> for the rest of my life and my body no longer needs that in order to get healthier. Um, I have a spiritual practice. My partner um, is in a sister program uh, with over 30 years, and I'm really grateful that, you know, we wake up and we do readings together every morning. Um, I go to at least three meetings a week. Um... I have a sponsor, I have sponsees. Uh, we all work our programs really imperfectly and I'm grateful for them. Um, and in order for me to keep my abstinence, I, I hold on to that because it, it truly is the most important thing of my life, in my life. Um, whether it's meetings or inner group or at the region level, um, I, I have to be of service because that is what will get me to these meetings. Um, I also try um, to allow myself uh, to be vulnerable when I can. Um, and a lot of that, um, as odd as this sounds, I really do give myself gratitudes. Um, and I have to look at myself in the mirror while I give gratitudes. It's just acting as if. And, um, and some of them have started to take root. And even when my sponsees, I've got two really awesome guys that I sponsor. Um, if they call me with a problem, I always start, one, like you have to give me five things that you're grateful for before I'm going to listen to your problems. So um, gratitude is, is a really important part of my program. Um, I understand that I have had a hard life and I understand that I deserve better. Um, there are some things that today I, I'm working my program around. Um, I'm still really self-centered. Um, overthinking, um, I'm scared of being lonely, of being cheated on, of having my heart broken. Um, I'm, you know, 
I assume a lot, um, which does me a lot of disservice. And the root of all of that is fear. And so that's a lot of what my writing um, is focused on these days are my fears. Um, the tools of recovery are, are there for a reason. Um, writing is the one that I hate the most, and so it's the one that I focus on because um, I, I just I want recovery. Um, and through my writing the past couple of weeks, um, the most valuable lesson that I have learned is to stop beating myself up. Totally. That I, I need to learn. Um, I need to pick myself up and to go and try to attempt to do something that's new and brave. And um, I know that God plus my abstinence equals courage. Um, and that um, helps me be present and not avoid. Um, and then I'll, I'll wrap up by saying that um, I feel really exposed up here. Me too. Um, but I'm really grateful for for each of you in here because um, I need perspectives. If I if I don't have these perspectives, I'm going to be stuck in my head, and um, and that's a bad place for me to be. So um, I I continue to come to meetings so that I can seek guides that help correct these um, perspectives that I was inherently taught. Um, and with that, I will be in. Thanks for allowing me to speak. <laughs>